Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But one of the types that he talked about was this ground It actually had some soil in it, but there was just a lot of stones, rocks. And so as a result of that, he said, that's like a person who has like stony heart. And so what happened there is that the plant doesn't have the ability to hold itself in the soil. It can't withstand because the root is not strong. There's all these rocks there so that when the winds come, the plant will just be gone. So the winds of temptation, when the winds of persecution blow on that person, the person doesn't stand like the tree, like the tree that only has the rocks around it, can't get the, the root to grab a hold. There's no root in himself. And this is what the Lord called out when he said, the problem is the root, the root. He says in Matthew 13, 20, Matthew 13, 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and a nun with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root. In himself, but dureth for a while, for when temptation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. The person in that condition has no root in himself. And this is the issue. There's no root. It's the root that holds the person against the forces of persecution, temptation, without the root. It's all about the root. No root, no standing. So the first step is the root. And the root is this word in Matthew 5, 4, in verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. That's the root. The mourning is the root. The root is a sorrow. It's a deep sorrow in the heart. It's a sorrow over his own sin. The mourning is like a training course. It's like a boot camp against the tough times. And, and there's this right kind of sorrow that's referred to in 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says it's called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. It's a wrong kind of sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, wrong kind, 2 Corinthians 17 is called the sorrow of the world. So the sorrow of the world is put against comparison, the godly sorrow. And if there's godly sorrow, then the root is going to progress to the second stage of the plant. The second stage is the stem. It's the stem that I was looking for. And all of a sudden, it breaks through the ground. And it took a long time for it to happen. And it's great when you see the little stems break through the ground that push their way out. That's the second stage in the process. It's necessary to get the fruit. The second stage is the stem. The stem represents repentance. The root is is sorrow. The stem is repentance. Not all of the seeds germinated and ended up producing a stem that broke through the ground. Some of the seeds made stems, some didn't. And the only way I knew 
it was a seed was doing its job down there and resulted in a root. The only way I knew that there was a root going on was this outward evidence of the stem breaking through the ground. The only way you know that the word of God has resulted in a root in that person, a godly sorrow, is this outward sign that you see of repentance. There's a changed life in the person. He has a changed life because he has an unseen root in him of godly sorrow. And you know whether or not this root that has resulted when you see the stem, which represents uh, repentance, changed life. For godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 10, 7, 10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. You might as well say it this way. The root of godly sorrow will produce the stem of repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, whereas the sorrow of this world produces nothing but death. 2 Corinthians 7.10, 2 Corinthians 7.10, the sorrow of this world worketh death. Sorrow of this world worketh death. Two types, two types of sorrow. The godly sorrow, the sorrow of the world. Two types of repentance. Repentance, it says in 2021, Acts 20.21, repentance toward God. Two types of repentance. Repentance toward God, repentance not toward God. Godly sorrow produces repentance toward God. Godly sorrow does not pr- produce repentance not toward God. Bible has examples of those uh, people who had repentance not toward God. For example, Judas Iscariot. He betrays the Lord, and he has repentance, but not repentance toward God. He has a sorrow, but it only produces death. Matthew 27, 3. Matthew 27, 3. Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw he was condemned, repented himself, brought again the 30 pieces of silver, said, I've sinned and I've betrayed the innocent blood. But they said, what's that to us? Cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. He departs, he goes and hangs himself, death. It says in Matthew 27, 3, Matthew 27, 3, Judas repented himself. It was not a repentance toward God. It was a repentance toward himself. It was a Judas saying, why did I do that? I should have never have done that. Felt terrible for doing that. But his repentance was only toward himself. That's why it says in Matthew 27, 3, Judas repented himself. That kind of repentance is like the statement in Hamlet, in Shakespeare's Hamlet. Polonius says, this above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the day the night. Thou canst not then be false to any man. You think about that. Think about that statement from Hamlet. Hamlet there. I got a question. Think about that statement. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow us the night, the day thou canst not then be false to any man. What's missing in that statement that would tell you that this person would never have a repentance toward God? What's missing? What do you think? That's God. God's missing. God's missing the statement. Statement's talking about being true to yourself. Don't do anything wrong to any other man. There's nothing in that statement about God. It's all horizontal. How are you going to hurt yourself? How are you going to hurt others? God's not in the statement. How would the believer make a statement? Say something like this. This above all, to God be true, and it must follow as the night and the day. Thou canst then not be false to any man. See, that's a statement that goes right aligned with what the Lord said in Matthew 22, 37. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus saith unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This above all, to God be true. 
This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's exactly like thou canst not to then be false to any man. It must follow as the night, the day. Thou canst not then to be false to any man. And then the Lord said, Matthew 22, 40, on these two commandments hand all the law and the prophets. See, the world only sees horizontal. The, only, the world only sees self and others. It doesn't see any vertical to God. That's why it says in Matthew 27, 3, 27, 3, Judas, he repented himself. He didn't repent towards God. God was not in his mind. God was not in his thought. God was totally devoid from him. And it was his conscience. It was Judas' conscience that made him feel terrible. It, made, it gave him misery. Gave him the misery of 2 Corinthians 7, 10. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, the sorrow of the world worketh death. The sorrow of the world has no thought of God at all. The sorrow of the world, Judas never says, I've sinned against God. He repented himself. I've sinned against myself. He never can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not in his mind. Judas is right along the lines of Psalm 10.4. Psalm 10.4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thought. And even in Romans 128, Romans 128, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, there is a difference between wrong and sin. Wrong doesn't have God in view. Sin has God in view. There's a difference between sin and wrong. Sin sees God, wrong doesn't see God. The atheist will say that he's done wrong, but the atheist will never say that he has sinned. Because wrong looks horizontally and says it was unethical, it was wrong to another person, it was wrong to myself. But sin looks vertical and says what I did was against God. What I did was a personal offense against God. David, it's hard to say this, and I don't like keep saying this. David raped Bathsheba. David killed Bathsheba's husband. David did plenty wrong. David did a wrong to Bathsheba. David did a wrong to her husband. But what was paramount in David's heart was not that he hadn't been true to himself, not that he hadn't done false to man, but David used the word sin in Psalm 51.4, Psalm 51.4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David said what he did was sin because it was personally against God. It was an evil in God's sight. He wasn't looking at Bathsheba and saying, I did wrong, I was wrong. He looked at God and he says, I sinned against you and you only. Very important clarification there between wrong and sin. People do wrong against other people. People sin against God. And true repentance toward God means that it's a repentance over sin and how God has been offended and wrong. You know, I used to go every month of to visit the prisoners at Donovan Correction Center down in Otai, the prison. And what I saw there was how a criminal can be very sorry for his crime and not be sorry to God. Now, what is that? Crime is a transgression of the law. Wrong is a transgression of the law of conscience. But sin is a transgression of God's law. Crime is a transgression against man's law. And when I was in Japan, I wanted to explain the gospel to my Japanese business friends. And so I was explaining to them, and when I said the word sin, they looked at me with that, I don't know what you're talking about, look, you know, which goes like this in Japanese. Huh? That's <laughs> how they do that, you know. And that's when I discovered 
There's no word for sin in the Japanese language. Japan, China are countries of idols and false gods, and so much so that their language developed without the word sin. And so I was forced to use the best word I could, sumi, sumi, which means crime. And I used that word, and I had to explain. There is a tsumi against man. That's really what crime is. And then there's a tsumi against God. That's sin. Some say, I have committed a crime. Many say, I was wrong. But not everyone says, I have sinned. Especially the atheist will never say, I have sinned, because if there's no God, there's no sin. And when God's law is broken, it's more than a crime. And when God's law is broken, it's more than wrong. When God's law is broken, it's sin. And when there's a godly sorrow, then the goodness of God comes in. And the goodness of God, it says in Romans 2.4, Romans 2.4, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God takes the sorrow, the root of the sorrow, and leads it to the stem of repentance. When a person has that root in him of being sorry for his sin, God in his goodness leads that person on to the stem of repentance, which is a change in the attitude towards sin. It's a hatred that causes a person to turn away from sin. Repentance does not mean that a person never sins again because it's just a change in the attitude towards sin. It's a new hatred. It's a new deep sorrow. It's a mourning in verse 4. It's a new position. Reminds me of a church in Scotland when the elders wanted to question a young girl to see if her conversion was real because she was young and they didn't really know. Is she really saved? She seems too young. So they met with the young girl and they asked her if she knew she was a sinner. And she replied, sadly, she said, yeah, I know I was a sinner. And then the elders went on and they said, well, are you saved? Are you saved now? She said, yes, I'm saved. By the grace of God, I'm saved, she said. They didn't know if it was real or not. Maybe she was just repeating what she heard all the time. So then the elders asked her, are you still a sinner? Are you still a sinner now? And she replied, said, yes, I'm still a sinner. And then they said to them, they said, well, what's the difference? Before you were saved, you were a sinner. Now after you're saved, you're a sinner. What's the difference with you? The little girl said, before I was saved, I ran after sin. And now I run away from sin. <laughs> what a great response. <laughs> That's a great answer, little girl, because she was describing what repentance is. It's a change of attitude towards sin. Repentance is a change from facing sin, saying, I want that, to facing away from sin, saying, I don't want that. I mean, what's the use of godly sorrow if it doesn't go on to lead a person to Acts 20.21, Acts 20.21? Repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. First come repentance, then comes faith. That explains why the Lord Jesus did not start his ministry with preaching faith. He started his ministry in Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When a person has repentance toward God, God will lead him on to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is a change of purpose. It's not just being sorry for sin. That's sorrow. Repentance is different. And remember, the root is sorrow. That's sorrow. Repentance, the stem, that's different. Repentance is a change. It's a change in purpose. Before we were saved, like the little girl said, we ran after sin. We enjoyed sin. We said, bring it on. Let the good times roll. And then after we're saved, we say, no. We say, Romans six twelve: sin shall therefore not reign in my mortal body that I should obey the lust thereof. We say, Romans 6.14, sin shall not have dominion over me. 
But seeing repentance is a change in purpose that explains, you know, do you ever read in the Bible and it kind of surprised you when you see God said, I repent? When God repented and you say, what? You don't have any sin. Well, there was a time. For example, in the case of Nineveh, in Nineveh, when it says in Jonah 3.10, Jonah 3.10, when Nineveh repented, Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes, and it says in Jonah 3.10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. How can God repent? God can repent because repentance means a change of purpose, which he did with repentance means a change of purpose. First, God's purpose was to destroy Nineveh for their sin, but after they put on sackcloth and cried out for their sorrow, God changed his purpose, and so he repented. The root is godly sorrow. That's verse four, mourn. The stem is repentance. It's the change of purpose that comes from the godly sorrow. Repentance is not crying or regret. Repentance is a determination. It reminds me of um, Stephen Olford when he was in Bristol by the sea there on the coast of England, and he was working as a chaplain, and he was giving the gospel to the young British soldiers who were about to go out and face the bullets, the Nazi bullets on the shores of Normandy. And at one meeting, he was speaking to them, this group of soldiers, and he asked them, he says, what does repentance mean? Nobody answered. And finally, one soldier said, I'll show you what repentance means, sir. And the soldier stood up, and he started to march. And then the soldier yelled, halt! And he stopped. And then the soldier yelled, about face! Turned around. And then he yelled, march forward! Started marching. He says, that's what repentance is, sir. He sat down. Pretty good. Repentance is halt, about face, forward march. That's repentance. Before we were saved, we were marching away from God. After we're saved, we're marching toward God. Repentance is a turning to God, a turning to God. But in order to turn to God, there's got to be something that happens in the human heart, and that is expressed in 2 Corinthians 5.14. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains us. That's what gives the encouragement for a person to turn to God. The love of God realized John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You also say God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, and that encourages me to turn to God. Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15.13, so many verses, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, hereby we perceive with the love of God. He laid down his life for us. All these verses speak of the love of God as displayed at the cross, at the cross. The law of God, the fear of hell, the law of God, the fear of hell, it can startle a person. It can make a person frightened of facing judgment, facing, but he won't turn to God. I have a friend like that. My friend is startled. My friend is frightened of dying of being cast into hell, but my friend does not turn to God because my friend does not see the love of God. Therefore, he doesn't have a repentance toward God. And it's only when the love of God is seen will the heart be melted to repentance. If a person is frightened and startled at dying, all that is is like taking a big chunk of ice and breaking it with a hammer. All you got left is little pieces of ice. It's only when the heat comes that the pieces are no longer ice and they melt to water. In the same way, 
person could be afraid, even sorry that the hammer comes down on the ice, but it's only when he sees the warmth and the love of God that his hard heart has melted. This is what you see in the prodigal son. Was out there in the swine's trough with the swine starving in Luke 15, 15. Luke 15, 15, the prodigal son. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, sent him into the fields to feed swine. He would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. He's very sorry for how his life turned out. He's very sorry for turning away from God, but he doesn't repent and he doesn't turn to God until he says in Luke 15, 17, Luke 2, 15, 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, no more worthy, worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. It's only after the prodigal son thought about the love of his father to take care of his servants. How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? When he thought about the love, when he thought about the care of his father, you know, the hired servants, that's the point when he decides to turn away from his life and turn back to his father. That was the change in direction. That was repentance. Repentance doesn't come unless a person sees the love of God. Repentance toward God, facing God, toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 21. That's what happened with the prodigal son. That's when the ice was melted. That's when the ice was melted. And God holds us out to Israel. He says to Israel in Isaiah 55, 7, Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. Why? He will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon Man must turn away from his wicked ways, his thoughts, in order to turn to God. But he's only going to do that when he sees the love of God. It's going to be merciful to him and pardon him. This is what happened with the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 9, 1 Thessalonians 1 9, it says, You turn to God from idols. And Jacob knew this too in his life when he was at a point where he wanted to go to Bethel and to build an altar and to serve God. And so in Genesis 35 2, Genesis 35 2, Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean, change your garments. Let us arise, go up to Bethel. I'll make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress. He knew that unless there was a putting away of the idols, there's no turning to God. So in verse four, mourning, it's the godly sorrow that gives rise to the stem of repentance toward God or faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, the third stage is the fruit. The fruit, which is salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not gained by us being sorry. It's not gained by us by repenting of sin. It's a gift from God. When he sees the sorrow, he sees the repentance, just like with Nineveh, then he gives the gift. Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. The salvation is a gift of God. Being saved is a gift of God. Just like the hymn, Rock of Ages says, not the laborers of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So the morning we're talking about in verse four is the godly sorrow. That's the root. The stem is repentance toward God. And finally, the third is the salvation that's a gift of God. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. How can we thank you enough for being so loving, so kind, so wonderful to give us what we could only hardly hope for, the gift of your son to die for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for salvation that you give in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 